I'm, well, I'm excited to introduce our, our speaker this morning, um, and we're just going to share some time up here, and, and I think it's going to be fun. Don't you think it's going to be fun? I do. Okay. I do. I'm, I'm <laughs> so this is, this is um, Professor Emeritus, uh, Dr. Mark Baden, and um, Mark's been a faculty member here at UNW since 1982, and he was hired here at that time to teach one ceramics course. Um, and then Mark has gone on to have a, a, a career spanning over three decades here at Northwestern. Um, during his tenure here, he has served as coordinator of visual arts education. Uh, he's served as the chair of the Department of Art and Design, uh, the dean of faculty for a season, and then uh, near the end of his career, back into the classroom as an instructor. Um, over all that time, teaching courses such as wheel throwing, uh, principles of art, art history, uh, seminar and sacred ar architecture. Um, Mark has long had an interest in the historic buildings here on campus. Uh, numerous faculty, staff, and students, um, some of you and, and I know me, have really appreciated the, the tours that he provides of, of Nazareth Hall, the Island Chapel. And now in his retirement, um, he's taken up the art of stained glass as well. Um, and, and leads the restoration efforts of, of the Island Chapel and other spaces here on campus. Um, in addition, Mark, to your professional life, um, you are father to my wife and granddad mm -hmm. to my kids. And, um, and so you're your grandpa and your Dr. Baden in our house, but we, <laughs> we, we love both those, both those roles. So um, before we get started here, would you just welcome to the stage Dr. Baden here this morning? Well, thank you. Thank you for that welcome, and it's always good to be here. I love Northwestern. I love the students. I love the mission. I love the vision. I love it all. And the beautiful campus, I mean, it can't get much better than this, in my opinion. And having Darren as a son-in-law, I, I did take some time the other day just to hunt him down and just say, Darren, I just, have I told you how much uh, I appreciate you as a son-in-law, that you are the best son-in-law? Uh, in the world. Isn't that, isn't that true? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like that? Well, let's learn, from, let's learn from Scripture today and then from potting just a little bit of something about uh, God. Mm -hmm. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him. Uh, working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping got marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel.
Can you hear the sound of the wheel? Can you hear that at all? What's kind of neat about all this is that when I begin to make pots, I think a little bit about the Genesis story and how in those, in those six days, God cre created everything and in the end created humanity. So from time to time, I'm going to be talking about something that I'm going to pause and I'm going to ask Darren to read some scripture. So just think about this and what I'm doing here as Darren, Darren reads. And we'll start with Genesis from, from the beginning, chapter 1 of Genesis, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Later in Genesis 2, the next chapter, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, sometimes when you're working on clay, especially when you're giving demonstrations, you're kind of not doing your, your own pots. You're kind of uh, doing some pseudo pots because... This is anxiety producing, and things turn out badly. However, you can always just take that piece of clay, cut it off the wheel, set it over to the side, and begin with a new one. We'll see if this one goes better. The art of making uh, pottery on the wheel looks like it takes a lot of strength, but it doesn't. It just takes finesse. And it's about putting your hands onto the clay in the right way and sort of coaxing that clay into the center of the wheel. So in my hands, you can see this part of my hand, the clay, and then on the top of my hands right here, those are the two places that I'm putting pressure. And it's a gentle coaxing into the center of the wheel. Finally, you get it centered, and you can start to open the pot up. So you find the center of the centered piece of clay, and then just press down to within about a quarter of an inch of clay between the wheel head and the ball of clay, and then you start to pull. And again, it's a, it's a gentle pressure between two fingers, between your, your inner and your outer fingers, and squeezing slightly and moving up the side of the clay, it will make that pot a little bit taller. So the goal here is to get the pot as thin as you can and as tall as you can before you put shape to it. You know, Mark, you began with Jeremiah, and uh, there's plenty of, of imagery of, of potter and clay within Scripture, and, and I just think about, you said finesse, and 
you know, getting that clay centered and. Yeah, you know, and I was thinking about the centering process. It's sort of, sort of like, you know, what does it take to be spiritually prepared for when God calls you, you're spiritually prepared to accept that call. And, and I think that's kind of a, a spiritual centering, yeah. if you will, being focused on the right things, being in the right place, mm. being considering the, the right things. And, uh, you know, the rest can become history. <laughs> Work a little bit more here. So this first pot, um, the artist always has an idea of what they want to make. And the first shape I'm going to make is an inomi. It's a Japanese style of uh, drinking vessel with a, a little foot underneath it. So it a, has a foot, and then it goes out into a wide form. And let's see if we can do that without making a vessel of dishonor. Here we go. <laughs> so once the pot is made, then we just press our finger underneath it, which lifts that pot up off of the surface of the wheel and gives it a little uh, finished foot. Can you see that? I think it's best on the screen. I like the close-ups. And then uh, we put a little shape to the outside of the pot using uh, a wooden rib, which is kind of interesting. Huh? Out of a wooden rib, we'll shape our pot. <clears throat> and then we clean it up, wipe it off. And we're ready to cut that off of the wheel. Now, one of the tricky things is getting this, getting this off of the wheel without marring it. So we undercut it with the stick, dry our hands off like so. And then finally, we just, whoops, I, I can see that I need to use that sponge once again on that top rim. Yeah, it's a little bit wobbly, but it has spirit. I'll set that over to the side. Let's 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 do that. Let's do that again. Darren, do we, what else do we have on our on our scripture passages? Um, we have some things from the Book of Isaiah, I think, as well. Yep, for sure, Isaiah. Um, Chapter 29, verse 16, says, You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall, shall what if formed say to him who formed it, he did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, he knows nothing? Sometimes uh, when we're making pots, we say that the, the clay has a mind of its own because it does weird things. As hard as you work on that clay, if it's uh, the wheel's going too fast, uh, it can get too wide. If the wheel's going too slow, it'll catch your fingers. And uh, you think the clay has a personality. Think about that. Um, as we are the clay, God is the potter. God can fashion from us anything that he chooses. Um, and then it depends on us. But in spite of us, sometimes God will do miraculous things. 
to take a look at it. One more making of a pot, and then we'll talk a little more scripture. There we go. Now I'm getting into the swing of things. My nerves are departing, <laughs> and, uh, and I can just make pots. But you see, I'm used to just sitting in the studio quietly and just listening to the turn of the wheel, just me and the clay. So um, imagine how the potter felt when Jeremiah showed up at his pottery studio and walked in and said, hey, today's the day that the Lord is going to speak to me through you. That's an incredible thought. So we make our pots tall, and we make them thin, and we'll see just how tall and thin we can make this one. A good pot has uh, consistency in the way that it's thrown, and uh, if it starts to get a little wide, we can always neck it in just by running our fingers up the side. You know those commercials on TV where, you know, they'll be teaching about some drug on TV and somebody's making pots in there? <laughs> those people are not potters. <laughs> They're not even good actors because nothing that they do on that pottery wheel uh, even resembles anything that we as, and those of you who are potters out there, I know there are some in the <laughs> audience, we know that. So. So it makes me not trust their judgment on drugs if <laughs> they're making pots that bad, they don't know much. That's just me, so just a, sorry, I told Darren, try and keep me on task today because I can get uh, off on a tangent pretty quickly. But anyways, commercials. So um, you can always check your pot for thickness and what we do is we just cut that pot and then spin it around like that and you can see you know that what you want is a pot that's about that thick it will taper slightly as it comes up to the the top and uh, then you know it'll be light enough um, you can put a handle on it you could make a pitcher out of it you could make a uh, uh, the purpose you can choose your purpose with any piece of clay just as God has a purpose for us that may be distinctly different than the next person. So I thought when I was a college student that I ought to be a famous potter. Um, I thought that so much that uh, after I got married to my wife, Karen, who is here in the audience, she needs a round of applause. She won't stand up. When, when uh, Karen and I had made this decision back in the, in the, in the 70s, <laughs> that's a long time ago, 1976, to go to, uh, to the Texas Renaissance Festival and sell our pottery and make all kinds of money. Um, so that was our goal. We were going to make pots and sell on the weekends, and we were going to sit on the beach uh, in Galveston um, on, on the weekdays. When we got there, it rained and rained and rained and rained and rained midweek, 
was always beautiful for the weekends. So I had one book with me. It was uh, a book entitled The Liberation of Planet Earth by a writer, Christian writer named Hal Lindsey. And a friend of mine had given that to me, and, and it was the only book I took with um, on this trip. And it was so rainy that I had nothing better to do but to read that book. Is that amazing? <laughs> and in that book, it explained the plan for salvation um, in a way that I began to comprehend. So Karen, my wife, was really wise. She had a Bible with her, you know? And, uh, and maybe another book or a couple, I don't know, but I just remember there was a Bible there. And that, you know, we had no intention of going down and studying the Bible, I don't think, when we went there. But, but at that time, it was about the middle of October in 1976 that I came to the realization that Jesus was who he said he was, that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of humanity, but he died for my sins individually. And so on a rainy day in Magnolia, Texas, I became a Christian. And it's not been, a, it was a challenging trip. It's been a challenging journey. Um, but ultimately, I was led to Northwestern to teach that one class of ceramics seven years after I became a Christian. So a lot of years between that. During that time, I spent four and a half years at the as a custodian of a local church. And uh, if you want to learn how to become a servant, spend four and a half years as a custodial staff, the only one in a church for 800 attenders. And you can learn a lot. So I always respect our facilities people and make good friends with them because they're just like me. You know, learning to serve the Lord in whatever capacity they choose. Should I make another pot? How's our time? We got 10 minutes. That's pretty good. <laughs> we could do more. Should I? Okay. All right, let's do, uh, let's do, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what. Um, what's our next passage of scripture? Let's see what that says. You know, there's, a, there's another one from Isaiah. Okay. Mark, and, and it uses the word potsherd. And ah. I need you to tell me what that means. But should I, should I read the verse first, or do you want to tell yeah, us what go it ahead. means? Okay. Yeah, read the, read the verse. That's <laughs> All good. right, so this is Isaiah 45, 8 and 9. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who quarrels with the maker, to him who is but a potsherd among the potsherds of the ground. When we get done making a pot, we fire it two times. We fire it the first time in the kiln to remove all the water. Uh, that's called a bisque firing or a biscuit firing. And when that's done, it becomes hardened so you can never use it again as a piece of clay. And you can kind of hear. Okay, those are potsherds. Okay, when a pot is finished, it gets a glaze put on it, and then it becomes extremely permanent. You cannot totally destroy this pot. It will be here more than 10,000 years, okay, once it's been fired. And uh, when we get pots that we don't like, then we break them apart and throw them into the potsherd pile, okay? Totally useless. 
I think that's what the, the passage is talking about. Mm. David, the, David, King David, um, following his repentance or as a process of his repentance um, concerning his sin with Bathsheba, said this. He said, I am forgotten like a dead man, like a broken and discarded pot. At that moment, David understood his uselessness to the Lord. Ah, and then we know the rest of the story. You know, David was repented and never re quite reached the, the prominence that he once had. But on the other hand, don't be a potsherd. Okay, better to, better to be a pot. Let's clean up a little bit. And, and uh, how about, that's really interesting, isn't it? Did you know that about potsherds? There are piles, well, as a matter of fact, where Judas, the money that Judas got for betraying Christ, was used to buy the potter's field that had all the clay had been taken out of it. It was just an empty hole, a filthy place. And... You can imagine the potters over the years uh, taking all their broken and discarded pots and throwing them out into that potter's field. Becomes the burial place uh, for Judas. Uh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. But Paul tells us something else, I think. Let's take a look at what Paul says. Yeah, you bet. Paul takes up this imagery of the potter and the clay in Romans 9. This is verses 20 and 21. But who are you to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purpose and some for common use? So the potter gets to choose, uh, you know, what's a, what's a noble use for a piece of clay? And, and I'll, I'll illustrate it this way by taking a little piece of clay and rolling it into a cone so you can kind of see it's, you know, a cone, cone shaped. And if we take one of these pots that I made uh, a while ago and we clean up the foot of this pot, um, I think we can make a pot with a special purpose. Let's make a teacup. Uh, what we would do is look at that pot and just see um, in all those lines, uh, what would be the best location to put a handle on this teacup? And then we'll take a little bit of scratching on the surface of that clay. Let's see how I'm doing up there. Can we get a close-up uh, maybe of this? There we go. And let me just score that a little bit. We take a little bit of sloppy clay, and that sort of acts as, as the glue on the surface of this. And then we'll take this piece of clay and press it onto the side of that pot. And then hopefully this is dry enough. Uh, we'll We'll give it a try. So taking that, we wet up this handle, or this piece of clay, and we're going to just keep stretching on that very gently 
I'm drawing that out nice long sort of arm off of that pot and then we just bring that around and with a thumbprint uh, we put that handle onto that pot. Isn't that neat? Kind of neat? So uh, a pot with the purpose of being a teacup. Um, sometimes you make them a little bit taller. At, uh, this one's not quite dry, but we'll give it a try. You okay with that? Give it another try? Okay. This one would be a mug for, uh, for those of us that would sit down for the football game or basketball game or uh, lacrosse match, soccer match. Um, we would, volleyball, I got a grandkid that's playing volleyball. Um, you gotta have a big drink if you're gonna watch that because it takes a long time. We'll just uh, score it up. Put a little glue on there. And Darren, we probably, is there, more that we would want to talk about here before we conclude as I put this handle on here? Well, I have a question for you, Mark. Um, I'd love to know what would, what would be, as you think about, you know, you, you shared with us your, your, your love and your passion for the Northwestern community. What, would you share, like, what is your hope for the students here at Northwestern? You know, if, if you were to share... Um, your vision or your dream for them? One of the things that I've really liked about Northwestern, and now I've been here for 40 years, I've been around for 40 years. Um, many, many, many years ago, we created a, a mission, a vision statement, and a mission statement for the university. And, and I like to think that this is what it's all about. So I carry this purple card around with me. Maybe you can get one at the president's office, maybe get one somewhere else. It's changed over time. In fact, uh, you can see this one, let's see, uh, has Northwestern College on it. So, you know, for those of us that are as old as I am, we have a difficult time calling ourselves the University of Northwestern because we all grew up in Northwest. Anyways, this is the vision statement. I really love this. Because of God's compelling love, we will teach wisdom and understanding to reach all nations for Christ. So in this moment of chapel, as a potter, I think we've taught wisdom and understanding related to scripture. I like that. Everything that we do revolves around that here at Northwestern. And the reason is Northwestern exists to provide Christ-centered higher education, equipping students to grow intellectually, spiritually, and to serve effectively in their professions, to give God-honoring leadership to their home church community and the world. I didn't go to an institution that had something like this as a mission. I went to college during the 1970s, two years after uh, Woodstock. It was a totally different time. No interest in Christianity for the friends that I had at college. In fact, I dare say, if you knew me in college, you would not be my friend. You would not want me for your friend. But God has a way of moving people to change. 
And that from that moment down in Magnolia, Texas, to today, it's been a constant effort on the part of God to mold me into the person that he would want me to be. So I would say to you, as a person who is now 70 years old, the most important thing you can do here at Northwestern, along with studying for your major, developing relationships, is, is focusing on God, and I believe that we do that. You have such an advantage. You're so far ahead of where I was at your age. And I just know that God has a special plan for you. And if you listen, you'll find it. That's what I like about the University of Northwest. What I love about the students of Northwestern. 40 years spending time with you. It's been a wonderful life. A great place to be. I hope that answers your question, and I see we're done. Just about, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're about done. <laughs> All right. So anything in conclusion, Darren, that you would like to say, um, let's do it and send you off for your day. Yeah, I would just like to say thank you, Mark. This has been really fantastic, so we appreciate you. <laughs>